if it has been a long time since you did business with the living God. Come to him this morning. Cling to him. Run to him. Throw yourself before him and plead for forgiveness and mercy and restoration and change and the refining grace of God. For there is no better place to be in all the world. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. The scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 12. And if you would turn to Genesis chapter 12, we'll read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. You'll find it on page 17 in the Church Pew Bible. Last Sunday morning, we began a new series of studies in the book of Genesis, and during May and June, we'll be focusing on the life of Abraham. So we're breaking in it to chapter 12, beginning at verse 10, and again, it's page 17 of the Church Bible. Abraham and his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, along with all of his possessions, his livestock, and his servants have traveled from Ar of the Chaldees and have arrived in the promised land. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Amen. I often find myself in moments of great admiration for people who can do things I can only ever dream of doing. Now, in fairness, that is most of the population. But apart from that, when I watch the Olympics and I see the athleticism, the sheer power, the ability of Olympic athletes, I am absolutely amazed. I see it when I'm watching television and I see the world's best golfers the precision, the accuracy, the giftedness is just leaves me speechless. 
I saw it back in March, during March Madness, when entire teams of athletes showed so much creativity, so much ingenuity. It really was breathtaking. And I had a similar experience last Monday, thinking of those who can do things I can't possibly do, and thinking of those I would like to become. I settled down last Monday evening at 8.30 because the greatest television show of all time had returned to our screens. It was back for the ninth series, and Jack Bauer was as good as ever. And I sat there amazed as he ran through central London, dealing with presidential threats, dealing with rogue agents of the CIA. Any second, I'm expecting the bubonic plague to be released all over London, and Jack will save the day. And it's so intense that all week I have been an emotional wreck because Jack is back. And I just can't wait till tomorrow evening to catch up on it again. And if you haven't seen 24, you really ought to. It is just an outstanding uh, television series. And when I think of those who are my heroes in the faith, I have to put Abraham certainly in the top five. He is a remarkable individual. On 72 occasions, you find his name mentioned in the New Testament. In the book of Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, he is featured in the Old Testament book of Genesis, which we are, of course, as you know, in the middle of 12 entire chapters are given over to feature the life of Abraham. In fact, in several places in the Old Testament, when Abraham, when God Himself is talked of or introduced, He is talked of in these terms, the God of Abraham. Abraham is a remarkable character, a real genuine hero of the faith. And if you were with us last Sunday morning when we began our studies, we looked at the first part of chapter 12. It is a wonderful chapter, and it is a narrative of unquestioning obedience and uninhibited, uninhibited faith. God calls Abraham right out of the blue. Abraham had no idea of the existence of Yahweh that he was about to meet. And God calls him, puts his hand upon him, so impacts and transforms his life. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I have a purpose and plan for you. It is a central role in my redemptive purposes, and I want you to leave your family, your friends, your country, all of the things of significance, all of the things you love, that which you have become familiar with, and I want to call you to leave that behind and come and follow me. And that's exactly what Abraham does. And he meets God in a significant manner at a place called Bethel. And Abraham is never the same again after that encounter with God. About 10 or 12 places in the Scriptures, you find the physical manifestation of God. Old Testament scholars call it a theophany. It's not God in all of His fullness and majesty and grandeur, but nonetheless, it's all that humanity can cope with. And Abraham meets God at Bethel. And he continues to move through the promised land and is expecting to settle down. 
But if the first half of chapter 12 was a narrative about courage and obedience and faith, the second part of chapter 12 stands in stark contrast to the first half. And you have Abraham again, this time not so much standing firmly in faith, but living in fear. And Abraham is a very changed individual. Now, before we get into a detailed analysis and study of what's about to happen, I want you please to take note of three principles I want to give you. And then we will look at those principles in light of all that Abraham's involved with. And these principles, I think, are of significant, significant importance. Halfway through chapter 12, it finishes with Abraham calling on the name of the Lord. And Abraham is clearly an extraordinary recipient of God's grace and promise. And then it all changes. He enters into the promised land, and there is a famine. Now, please understand the importance of a famine in the ancient Near East in those days. Now, remember, Abraham is 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. That is 4,000 years ago. That is a long time back, long time back, the dim and distant past, and there was a famine. I imagine Abraham thinking to himself and his wife Sarai, their nephew Lot, and all of their servants, and everyone who is part of his caravan and entourage, and saying to them, it's okay, a couple of days of famine we can cope with. We can handle this. But a couple of days become five days. And then it becomes two weeks, and three weeks, and four weeks. And the promised land that was filled with such potential God was going to bless Abraham. God was about to move in a remarkable way. And now the very food they were hoping to survive upon was rotting at their feet. It was shriveling up, and they could not survive. What does Abraham do? Abraham takes his family, his wife Sarai, nephew Lot, and everyone else, and heads for Egypt. With all of that in mind, now let me give you the first principle. The first principle I need you to jot down this morning is this, that faith is always and universally tested. Faith is always and universally tested. And God sometimes brings testing into our life. On other occasions, He lets it come our way. But understand this, Whenever a test comes our way that God allows, He has designed that test for a purpose. And the purpose that God often designs a test for is this. It is designed to drive us to our knees in utter dependence on Him, so that our confidence and sufficiency is in God and God alone. Number one, true faith is always and universally tested, and God designs those tests in such a way that it drives us into an ever 
dependent and increasing trust and confidence in Him and in Him alone. Now, Abraham hasn't quite learned that lesson. He will by the end of our study this morning. He'll get there, but that's the first principle that we need to take hold of this morning. And secondly, Abraham is about to be pushed to his limit, and he doesn't ask the question that follows our second principle. When we find ourselves in difficulty, when we find ourselves marginalized, when we're going through periods of trial, when our back is up against the wall, the question uppermost in your mind is not, Father, what on earth are you doing? The second principle is in the form of a question, and the question uppermost in your mind is this, Father, are you sufficient to be able to help me face the challenge before me? Here it comes again. Is God sufficient for the challenge which lies before me? And so, when you find yourself boxed in with nowhere to go, and the circumstance and situations of your life seem to be crumbling around you, and you have nowhere else to go, your question is, Father, are you sufficient to deal with the challenges which lie before me? That's the second principle we need to learn. And it would have been wonderful if Abraham had learned that before going to Egypt. So, the second principle, is God sufficient for my every need? And thirdly, when God brings testing into our lives, it is not a sign of His disfavor or discipline. It is not always that. It may be that, but certainly not always, because sometimes He allows testing and difficulties to come our way for an entirely different reason, that He might refine us and fashion us and shape us and enable us to reflect His glory. That's why He allows testing into our lives. And some of you are mentally ahead of me at this stage, so please let me bring you back. You're already thinking of biblical characters who have gone through tough days, and God has put them in that position to drive them towards an ever-increasing dependency on Him. And as they have, they have then asked themselves the solemn, sober, inescapable question, is God sufficient for the challenge before me. And thirdly, He is doing that in order to refine us so that we will reflect His glory. God brings trials into our lives in order to drive us into a deeper relationship with Himself. Number two, when we're in the midst of those challenges, we ask, is God sufficient? And the answer is obvious and always and absolutely yes, He is. And now Abraham leaves Canaan and goes to Egypt. 
And a strange change has taken place in the life of Abram. Abram, a hero of the faith, Abram who'd given up so much to follow the call of God, Abram who met him at Bethel, Abram whose life had been utterly transformed, on his way to Egypt, leans over and says to his wife, now, when we get to Egypt, pretend to be my sister because they will look at you, they will allow you to survive, and they will kill me. Abraham was willing to give up his wife's purity for the sake of his own security. Abraham, what on earth has happened? What has changed you so? What has put you in the situation where, Abraham, you are now saying, I have a plan. I know how this should work. Allow me to think it through. And Abraham plots and schemes and manipulates, and his confidence is no longer in the living God. His confidence is now in a lie. Think of that. His confidence is now in a lie, and he is fearful of the truth. Abraham has come a long way, and in the midst of it all, I can hear Abraham justifying it to himself. After all, if you go back and Genesis 11, you will discover that Abraham and Sarai are, in fact, related. And technically speaking, she is his half-sister, and so it wasn't really much of a lie. It was really a white lie. Let's, let's put it, that was a white lie. And, of course, Abraham knew in those days the custom was that when someone wanted to marry another man's sister, he would have to approach her legal guardian, who would be Abraham himself. And, of course, before that ever happened, that no chance. Abraham would take Sarai in the middle of the night. They would leave and go back to Canaan. He had it all worked out. He knew what he was doing, and his confidence was in himself. And then Pharaoh hears of Sarah, and he takes her into his palace with a view probably to marrying her some months down the line. And in verse 17, you have those two wonderful words that every time you come across them in Scripture, your heart leaps. And verse 17 begins with these words, but the Lord. The Lord intervened, and He caused disease among Pharaoh and his entire household and deception is uncovered, and Abraham has to answer to Pharaoh. And what goes on here? Look at it. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And so Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I would take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham, and off he went. 
And do you notice what has now transpired? It is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who lectures and reprimands Abraham, the man of faith, about morality. How bizarre, how twisted has it become when the man who walked with God, who was his friend, who met with God at Bethel, is now being lectured by Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew better than Abraham. Abraham, what has happened to you? Your focus has left the living God, and you have been utterly selfish and you are willing to put your wife in harem's way. And this weed of a man was being lectured rightly by Pharaoh. And we see there towards the end of the chapter the restraining grace of God. And God had held back Pharaoh and his interaction with Sarah and the restraining grace of God was at work. And some of us this morning, and I have to put myself there, that God at times has put His hand of restraining grace upon my life, and He has led me and guided me and walked before me, and I am so grateful for His restraining grace. And you will probably be the same but mercifully, the passage does not end there. Or rather, the chapter ends there because we are reading an English translation, but the narrative continues into chapter 13. And come with me, please, from the fear of chapter 12 into the faith of chapter 13, and look at it with me, those opening three verses. And so, Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold, and from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord." And if chapter 12 ended with the restraining grace of God, chapter 13 begins with the restoring grace of God. And Abraham, God reaches down to Abraham in Egypt, and he walks with him each step of the way, dealing with him, talking to him, confiding in him, refining him, disciplining him, and teaching him about what it means to have an ever-increasing dependency and sufficiency on God alone. And where does God take him? Of all the places he could take him, he takes him, excuse me, he takes him back to Bethel, the place where God had manifest Himself to him earlier in chapter 12. And he's saying, Abraham, I need you to be the man you once were. Abraham, from time to time, I will bring testing into your life. Abraham, I will bring it into your life in order to refine you and shape you and 
fashion you after my glory and majesty. And Abraham, when I do, it will be for your great good and ultimate blessing. And there at Bethel, Abraham changes again. And Abraham calls on the Lord once more. And I imagine Abraham coming with tears and regrets and bitterness, and God working in the heart and soul of Abraham, and restoring him, and enabling him, and sustaining him, and saying, Abraham, come back. It is time. This is the day that we walk together again. And Abraham seeking forgiveness for the poverty of his faith, for the fickleness of his thinking, for the utter selfishness that he had displayed to his wife Sarai and ultimately to God himself. And at the end of the episode, in chapter 13, verse 3, Abraham called upon the Lord at Bethel. And I cannot help but wonder this morning if it has been a long time since you did business with the living God. Come to Him this morning. Cling to Him. Run to Him. Throw yourself before Him and plead for forgiveness and mercy and restoration and change and the refining grace of God, for there is no better place to be in all the world. And as you leave here this morning, remember those principles that would impact and transform the life of Abraham, that God will bring testing. And when He does, it is in order that our sufficiency will be in Him alone. Secondly, when He brings testing our way, the question we have to answer is this, is God sufficient for the challenges before me? And of course, you know, the answer is yes, and always, and absolutely. And thirdly, and finally, when He takes us to Bethel, when the magnitude of our own sin threatens to overwhelm us, fall before Him and ask for His restoring grace. And if that is you this morning, may you experience Him in all of His goodness and mercy and love, for He longs to restore you to the man or woman He first called you to be. Let us pray together. Thank you for this incredible portion of Scripture. Father, it reminds us about the days when we have wandered from you, turned our back upon you, treated you with disdain and contempt. Father, forgive us, cleanse us, change us, in order, please, that we might rest and trust upon you and you alone. Oh God, hear our prayers this day. In Jesus' name we ask them. Amen.
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Yeah.